So what time does the 7 o'clock meeting start? 7 7 o'clock. So welcome to New Freedom. Welcome to Position of Neutrality. Is there anyone in the room tonight that this is your first visit here? A few of you? Good. Very good. So first of all, welcome, and second, let us warn you in advance, you may experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. The primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a different experience here. Um, the other thing is if you are members here at New Freedom, we want you to know if you haven't been told, your family's welcome to join you here. So every Thursday they open the doors at 6.15, your family can sit with you in the hall and they can come into the meeting and you can at least, the idea is to let them see what you're doing to get ready to come home to them. And we also make that same opportunity available on Saturday night for the Recovery Church. Chaplain Lee officiates those services. And uh, you can come in, same thing, Saturday at 6.15. You can come in with your, with, your, with your family. So let them know if they might want to come to a recovery meeting or to a church service here, they're welcome. Yes? We encourage you to do that. And I guess from there, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to get started, because why not? Um, so we're going to take a look at step four tonight. For those of you who have never seen us do this, um, we've been doing it for a lot of years. My job is simply to show you how I find my experience in the book and encourage you to have your experience with the book. And if we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. Any of you been here before can witness for these folks that happens? There we go. So those of you online, they raise their hands. We don't show you that because of the anonymous nature of our fellowship. But reality is that, that when in 12-step recovery we speak of a spiritual experience, we're talking about a sensory experience. You'll feel it. And when you do, I'll know, and I'll call it to your attention, because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration. Fair enough? And so we're on page 63, at the bottom of the page, if you're following along in a book. Um, and the authors say, next we launched out on a course of vigorous action. So two things I'd like for you to internalize. Who's we? The first 100 are telling this story. And the name of the book is Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And then the forward to the first 100 said, we're the uh, over 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So they're telling the story of their recovery and the experience they had sharing it with others, the first several thousand. People in our rooms today are not among them. So if we want to get our efficacy rates back up, we need to pay attention to their experience. In, from 1939 to 1955, they document in the forward to the second edition, they had an efficacy rate of 65%. Any of you in behavioral health space today know how poorly we perform according to that standard today? Considerably less than 10%, truth, right? And in spite of all the advances to science that we've experienced since 1939, they had a world war between 39 and 55 and still had a 65% efficacy rate. So we think People got focused on, I'll do it my way, instead of thoroughly following their path. I heard it from a guy in the back of the room. He told me this is what his sponsor said. <laughs> so we want to focus you on what they, who we is and the experience they said they had. And it says, next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. So we've established who we is. Now let's go to you. How many of you have made an effort at a four-step inventory? Some of you? How many would describe your first attempt as something less than a launching? <laughs> so, there's something that's not occurred if that's true. There's, there's an encounter that we're, we're doubting or there's something happening that the decision that you claim to have made in three is not being enacted. Yes? Okay. I'm not here to tell you what that is. I'm just telling you when you're ready, you'll move, right? Okay. All right. And then it says, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us had never attempted. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless it once follow, followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. 
Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. So they tell us saying the prayer may produce an effect. Remember they told that an effect came, but it can't have a permanent effect unless it's followed by action. Does that make sense? How many of you got an effect? I'm spiritually enlightened. I've let go of all that. And then found yourself spun again. Okay. So that if you would like a permanent effect, you're probably going to need an ongoing manner of living that suggests a more continuous action, yes? Okay. All right, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. It's an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods, to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. Sorry I read so long. I know that's tedious to sit and hear it, but I have to get through it all and then go back and re, you know, deconstruct it so we see what they said about it, right? So they told us a couple key things. They said that taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. So I'm going to do the same thing with my life. Not just fact-finding, but fact-facing. How many of you found a fact and then you push that sucker right back down? <laughs> so we're going we're to find it, we're going to face it, and then ultimately we're going to present the facts to the truth, the great reality within, and once presented the facts to the truth, then the truth makes a way. Make sense? Okay, some of you felt that. Who felt that? Okay, all right, perfect. That's not coming from up here. That's happening in you, proving to you the oneness we talk about. There's one that has all power, right? Okay, um, and then it says, one object is to disclose damage or unsaleable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. So if that's one object, there must be another object. How many of you were under the impression that your inventory was you just getting out that dirty secret you don't like talking about? It's a misconception a lot of people think. They're afraid of it, because I don't want to look at that crap again. Any of you ever heard that or said that? Okay, but that's only one object. So what is the main object? What did they tell us they found? They found the great reality deep down within them. In the last analysis, it's only there that may be found. So this isn't a crap hunt, folks. This is a treasure hunt. So if you're still disturbed, you didn't dig deep enough. Not out there, in here. Does it make sense? Okay. All right, so we did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways with what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. They're assuming that we have at least admitted that we're convinced that self-manifested. So when did they ask us that before? That was the essence of the third step decision, right? So do, do you still think, what the hell does self-manifested in various ways mean? Because we don't talk that way, right? How many of you had one person you presented to some people and then a little different person you presented to other people? How many of you sometimes got confused, the audience you were playing for and the role you were playing? <laughs> How many of you convinced somebody that you were the bad guy when you were really trying to convince them you were the good guy? <laughs> that, that self, me wanting to fit in everywhere, cheated them out of ever really knowing me, and it cheated me out of finding out who I really was and, and what the stock was in me that sells. Right? So self manifested in various ways defeated me because anyone who knew me never knew which me was showing up. <laughs> okay, so there says we considered its common manifestations. Resentment's the number one offender. So how many of you have experienced resentment? How many of you enlightened souls don't think you possess any anymore? It happens, it happens. I've, I've sat with people who don't think they have resentment 
but they have other things. It doesn't matter. We'll, we'll work our way through the word smithing and we'll, we'll find out what pisses you off. Okay? Um, it destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease, for we've not only been mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So what we first want to do in 12-step recovery is, number one, this isn't a program of abstinence. It's a fellowship of abstinence. It's a program of spiritual inebriation, which the byproduct is abstinence. Because I've already proven I don't live well abstinent. Anyone else? How many of you had a medical diagnosis that said, Joe, you're dependent? I am way dependent, and I, that's not going to change. I'm going to change what I'm dependent on. Instead of going out there, I'm going to go inside. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So I've got to work out that, and then we'll deal with the mental and physical, or at least we'll let this power within me deal with the mental and physical. Yes? yes. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. How do we normally deal with resentments before we get introduced to this process? At, at, at work in the break room? We tell a friend, well, let me share my burden with you. What a son of a bitch they are. <laughs> so that's a changed behavior. I'm going to put it on paper and not poison the consciousness around me. Yes? Okay. And then it says, it says well, we listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we are angry. So there's a column of what you're angry about. And then we ask ourselves why we are angry. So I'm going to have to get my column of what before I get to my column of why. Does it make sense? Okay. And then it says, in most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambition, or personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened, so we were sore, we were burned up. How many of you have discovered that when you get in close relationships with people and something goes awry, it hits all those triggers, self-esteem? How many of you concluded because of that, you just weren't going to get in personal relationships anymore? How I many just found out you were still having difficulty in those relationships even though you're out of them? <laughs> so the problem was never out there. True? Okay. All right, so on our grudge list, we said opposite each name are injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambition, our personal or sex relations which had been, which had been interfered with? So we're going to get now down to causes and conditions about what, what triggered in me that caused this self to manifest? Yes? Yep. Okay. Um, I'm going to jump to the bottom of the page. We went back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. Why? I mean, right, we, out, we said this prayer. They suggested you better to say this prayer alone than with someone who might misunderstand. So the only, I didn't make an agreement to any human being. I made an agreement with God to get to the facts so that I could learn to retell the story. Because if, I learn, if I'm properly armed with the facts about myself, I'm going to tell the story of a victor, not a victim. Therefore, my addiction was a calling, not a curse. Everything that went wrong in my life suddenly makes sense because it has purpose, as long as I'll participate. Make sense? Some of you are feeling that. Who's feeling that? There you go. That's the power we call God. That's not happening up here. That's happening in you. That's a spirit of revelation. Right? Okay, so when we were finished, we considered it carefully. Why would we want to do that? Yeah, wouldn't you? I mean, if you're going to go tell the story that is your life, and this is your first real effort to look at the truth, wouldn't you want to make sure you got it right? Okay, all right, so the first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. So how many of you concluded that? How many of you concluded that today? So that's really not a revelation, is it? How many of you have been stuck there? How wrong the world and its people are. That's not a good place for us addicts of the hopeless variety to remain. Because we don't stay stuck long. Because I know where to get a release in this neighborhood. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Most any neighborhood, truthfully. But, um, okay, so to conclude that others were wrong were as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that the people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. So you ever have that happen? 
Got up, nothing particularly wrong, then something went a little wrong, and then the whole day turned to just... Did you perhaps paint every other interaction with the same bad experience? We don't know for sure, or you just had a shit day, right? But um, the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. Have you ever just insisted that you needed that wrong righted right now and you couldn't move forward in your life until you got that one righted and no one wanted to hear you? That's all they're talking about. They're talking about the argument we have with ourselves. I cannot let my ego down. I gotta tune that bitch up. <laughs> As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. It's plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. Now, I will say this. If you're sitting here and you haven't done this work, it may not yet be plain. I didn't know this really until I'd been through an inventory, had that revelation of what I was like, what happened, what I'm like now, and I actually got out and started using some of that to help others, and I realized sticking in that when it was preparing me for this very moment of servitude is silly. I'm wasting a lot of valuable time in purposeful action. Okay. Um, to the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? They put a word there for us to pay attention to, permit. How many of you have suffered for long periods of time and did not know that you were permitting your suffering? That's the definition of powerlessness. They sing songs about it. The Eagles wrote a song. So oftentimes it happens that we live our life in chains and we never even know we hold the key. But you do hold the key and we're going to look at it right here. Okay. All right, but with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it's fatal. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit, the insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. And with us to drink is to die. So if you get full enough of resentment and blocked off from the source of power enough that it's intolerable, then a release in the spirit is inevitable. That's why they call alcohol spirits. It's a spiritual release. Does it make sense to you? So if I don't find that power within me to produce that ease and comfort, I'm going to keep looking out there. And it's an endless search that is not going to philosophically comfort me. Right? Okay? So if we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. So now they're telling you the things they found that created that situation. Grouch and brainstorm. Grouch is kind of like what it sounds like. Ever just not been real cheerful? Come on, I walk around here every day. Some of you are not. <laughs> so sometimes we're not real cheerful. And we're, we just kind of got a grouch going on. But it's seeding resentment. It's, it's allowing something to reside in me that, although permissible, is not beneficial. Okay? Um, and then brainstorm is either a sudden fit of rage or a bright idea where you launch out on a course of vigorous action. How many of you have just got one of those ideas and just didn't really consider the outcomes prior to the launch? Most of you, if we read your sentencing report, it would probably detail such a thing. <laughs> I'm just guessing. Um, so they may seem the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics these things are poison. So now they're separating me from the herd. Right? Yep. Alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. The rest of the world, they're just regular examples of self-will run riot. I need to know me as an alcoholic and a human. Does it make sense? Okay. So we turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. The list holds the key to the future. Okay. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. How many of you had that experience? Where's my meth addicts? You guys know, huh? Window shade closed. Can't answer the phone. Coke? Where's my Coke addicts? 
You guys had the IBI outside the door too, right? <laughs> you did, didn't you, Wayne? <laughs> so, in that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had the power to actually kill. So let's talk about the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real. So it really doesn't matter how real the experience is. If I stay in it, I'm still clinging to my own suffering. Right? All right. So how could we escape? There's a question mark. Anytime they put a question mark in this book, I want you to pay attention to it. They want you to go inward. Where are the answers found? Deep down inside. And the last analysis is only there it may be found. Luckily, they also put it on a page how they escaped. So when you ask yourself the question, then they're going to tell you what they did. Yes? And then they told you at the beginning of this chapter, rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. And you can gauge it against the experience they describe. And if you're having a similar experience, that's why it helps to have a guide to say you are having a similar experience. You may not be aware, but here's what's up. Yeah? Okay. So we saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? Another question mark. Okay, I've got to master these resentments, but darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that, right? Okay. So, but we could not wish them away any more than alcohol. So what was the first thing they tried to do? They tried to wish them away. That's how they found it out. How many of you tried to wish away resentments? All of us, right? That didn't bother me, motherfucker. Go back to the same topic six times in a day. Okay, this was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Well, that would be a revelation, right? I want them to make exceptions for me, but I'm not willing to make any for them. So the whole purpose of this exercise is for me to learn to separate human behavior from human beings. If you can separate human doings from human beings, you can love the being and then figure out how to tolerate those doings and not take them on yourself. Okay. All right. So though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they like ourselves too. So those bad actions that I think I'm catching them in are symptoms of their malady. Now here's my conundrum. They like ourselves are sick too. So their symptoms look a lot like my symptoms. So what I don't know is whether I'm seeing their symptoms or my thoughts. There's an, or both, right? And often I would be seeing both. Good point, good catch, Sean. So there's another book that says, how can you see the speck in your brother's eye when you can't see the plank in your own eye? Better you should remove the plank from your eye so you can better see to help your brother. He was talking about my perspective that blinds me from what I'm seeing. Okay. All right, so we ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. So the first thing they do is pray for power to be kinder than they feel. How many of you have already received power to be kinder than you feel and didn't even remember to pray? We don't, God doesn't make too hard terms on those who earnestly seek. If he knows you're trying to grow, you'll start changing in the way you act and think even before you ask, and then as you need more detailed correction you probably want to ask. <laughs> when a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man, how can I be helpful to him? If I will ask, where's the power found? Deep down inside. So the new man in me knows how I can be helpful to him, but first I'm going to have to quiet my mind. Does that make sense? God save me from being angry. More of the prayer. Thy will be done. Now, most of us don't talk in King James language, but if you can excuse the thy, I just want to point out the fact that God's will has no opposite. So whatever you're seeing is God's will. What we want to do is get in alignment with it. I'm there for a purpose. I'm here to learn. I'm here to teach or both. Yes? So we avoid retaliation or argument. Why did they tell us that? Well, and we usually, that's where we start, right? Have you ever gone to just make an approach for an amends and then end up having to go back to make an amends for the amends you tried to make? <laughs> so we avoid that shit, okay? We wouldn't be, treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. 
So one of the things we haven't learned in, in fellowship in general, people have to internalize you're sick. I don't care if they put you in prison. I don't care what, what society says about you. You need to know that you were sick, not bad. Right? And so those manifestations were a result of the sickness. And since this society doesn't know how to treat it, what I need to do is go to the healer, and the healer knows how to treat it. Right? And so what, what I need for everyone to understand is that I, I'm going to have to grow in this consciousness, and this, is what, this, is, this first inventory shows me how myself manifests into fear, into resentment, into relationship to discord, yes, of all types. Okay. So we cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. That's a promise you could claim. No matter how bad the interaction, God will show you how to take a kindly and tolerant view. You're probably going to have to seek guidance. You're probably going to have to continue to serve, right? Because there's some really bad scars from maybe our youth. You had no part in that. But the fact that you got the grace to get through it and you're not applying it to help someone else get through it is causing your continued suffering. Right? And we're not mad at you for it. It's just not a good place to stay now that there's a path out. Yeah? Okay. So referring to our list again and putting out of our minds the wrongs others have done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. Resolutely. What are they suggesting? This is going to be hard. I'm going to have to, to, have to really intently look for my part in this. And some of them you're going to find things you had no part in that you were victimized by, but your unforgiveness is still holding you to the event. So your part isn't necessarily a fault, it's simply an unconscious, I'm allowing this to hold me to an event. Okay, so where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Notice how they're, they're showing me selfish, the condition in which I find myself, self-seeking, the behavior that perfected that condition, dishonest, the lie I told me to start that seeking, and the fear that drove me out to tell that lie. If you knew the truth about me, you wouldn't like me. Therefore, I'm going to present to you a, a me you will like. And then I'll lie to you who I am, and you won't like that one either. And now you don't like me, and I don't like me. And here we are. Any of you ever done that bullshit? So you can see how, in like, the reason I like people to see what this really is versus what they think it is or they've been told it is, is I don't know why everyone, addict or not, doesn't want to do this, because it gets me an ideal for who I want to be. Um, so referring to our list again and putting out of our minds the wrongs others have done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes, where we've been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? So just find your part. Why do I need to find my part? Because until I do, there's only one who has all power. And right now I'm giving it to them. You've got to know who you are and whose you are to walk out of here free. And you ain't theirs. Does it make sense? Okay. The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly, and we were willing to set these matters straight. Notice the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve, but did we not ourselves set the ball rolling? So you've, you've agreed to that in three, right? They told us that, you know, driven by fear, self-whatever, self-delusion, self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. And we didn't even know it. It was an act of faith, say the prayer. Now open my eyes and show me where that happened. And now I'm going to write down how that happened and the part I played in it. And again, no one is suggesting things you didn't have a part in. You have to find a fault. We're not even looking for their fault. What I'm looking to is the fear that's still tying me to that event, that that fear that ties me, that tells me that how I was treated is somehow defining who I am. That shit got nothing about who I am. The fact I survived it tells you whose I am. Does that make sense? And I need to walk out of there knowing that. Okay, so 
Um, but didn't we not ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. So those of you who have been stuck and not wanted to do something that you knew you needed to do, what are you afraid of? And if you don't like the word fear, then let's talk about, okay, I procrastinate. Well, if you're procrastinating, it's because you're fearing an outcome. You're, you're, you know, there's something there. There's something driving. If you know you need to do it. How many of you, when you knew you needed to get high, spent 20 days thinking about it? Yeah. <laughs> we didn't spend 20 seconds thinking about it. So if you know you need to get spiritually liberated, same desperation, yes? And the answers are within, okay? Okay, so we reviewed our, reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper even though we had no resentment and connection with them. Have you ever had a fear that didn't necessarily have an outward manifestation? Any of you just feel bad about yourself because of some situation so you wouldn't apply yourself or take yourself into places that you might want to go because you didn't feel worthy? How many of you stayed away from a church or from a recovery group or from some group that might have been supportive because you were embarrassed about what happened? How many of you have suffered from depression? Okay, that's anger without enthusiasm. You just, you're just laying there dying and everyone's telling you to do something about it and you can't do anything about it. You're powerless to do anything about it, but there's a power in you that can do something about it. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, so we ask ourselves why we had them. So you might want to do that. Why do I have these fears? And they're going to go through a list of reasons why they discovered they might. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Did something in the past lead me to believe that because it happened in the past, that was always what was going to happen? Any of you had a colossal failure and figured that was it? Probably all of us. So you may not use those words, but all of us have had that experience. Why try? It's, it always turns out this way, right? Um, then it says self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. So now they're disclosing to me what I thought was an alcohol problem, a cocaine problem, a methamphetamine problem, a heroin problem, a fentanyl problem. What I thought, those were symptoms of my fear problem. And my fear problem propelled my control addiction. See, there is no substance in the known universe powerful enough to overcome a control addiction except faith. So that's why they suggest faith means courage. That's, they want to put me on a faith prescription. Does that make sense? I'm not making this shit up. It's coming out of here. Perhaps there's a better way. We think so, for we're now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. Trusting and relying upon God. If you were to define faith, would that not maybe be one of the possibilities? Okay, see, I'm telling you, I'm not making this shit up. They wrote a book about this stuff. <laughs> we trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We're in the world to play the role he assigns. So think about what they said. That's a reminder. How many of you would have to admit, from time to time, it seems like you got kind of a shitty assignment? <laughs> Why me? Anybody? Yeah. Why does this always happen to me? It's the wrong question. Why not me? I've been perfectly perfected for this moment by all those other moments. Right? Properly armed with the facts about me, who I am and whose I am, I can walk through anything. Yeah? Okay. So just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? There's another book that talks about him sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Wake up! We're going to drown! I did that a thousand times in my addiction. When he woke up, the storm stopped. The storm wasn't out there. It was in me. Just, everyone went quiet. I don't know. Did the storm just stop? <laughs> Okay. okay. So we never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it's the way of strength. How many of you have had that experience? Since you're doing better, go, wow, dude, what, what are you doing, man? This is crazy. I know who you were. 
Come on, you're just playing, right? When are you going to break out into the old you? He died. He died. You're seeing the one who lives in me. Yeah? Okay. So the verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. When they say God, what are they talking about? Power. You guys are slipping. They trust their power. We never apologize for power. Who in this world out there apologizes for power? God doesn't even apologize for power. He he sustains us with power. But my point is, the word prejudices some people, but all of us like power, so we want to call your attention to this power within. And we want to call your attention to why you would want to build your consciousness, your awareness of being aware of that power in and through your life, because once you awaken to it, you'll find that you attract others who need to be similarly lit. Okay? So, so they trust their God that we never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. I don't need to tell you what God does. Walk with me. I'll show you what God does. Yes? Everyone that works here knows that story. Right? Everyone that works here does the same thing. Everyone who comes here to get better so that they can do this kind of work does the same. You know the same thing. Walk around here every day. The blind see, the lame walk, the captives are set free every day. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once we commenced to outgrow fear. So there's what they did. Don't let me be distracted by what's going on. Just direct, direct my attention to what you would have me be. Faithful. Quiet. I get quiet a lot. I'm not good at it, but I get it a lot. Now about sex. Many of us need an overhauling there, but above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off the track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. And then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it, or it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. So I'm going to stop for a minute. Can you find yourself in those situations? How many of you can find yourself with both thoughts? Not enough of it, not the right kind? And I ain't never doing that again, procreation only. Can you really? Can you find yourself on both ends of the spectrum? Because they said alcoholics are a bit extreme. You just might be catching alcoholism. You never know. Now you got, they ain't got no mask for that. So um, one school would allow a man no flavor for his fare, and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We go through all of that to help us see how we go through our ideas. My ideas are based on my experience, and I don't even know what's up. I don't know outcomes. It's wacky, right? Um, So what they say is, we want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. So one of the things I need to learn is I am not here to judge. I cannot help anyone I'm judging, and I'm more likely to misjudge in an area that I'm prejudiced anyway. The only reason I care what you're doing with someone you're doing it with is I hope to do it with the one you're doing it with. Or, Or... Something similar. (laughs) Otherwise, I know that shit's going on all the time and it doesn't trouble me. It's only when I personalize it. Right? So I know I'm I'm trying to be light, but the reality is it's not good for us to get caught up in what other people are doing. Yes? Okay. Um, And that's not to say those of you who are members here that we've suspended all the freaking rules. We still got cameras and therapeutically we do not want you engaging in all this activity. And we have cameras. A lot. Yeah, even there. Um, Okay, so 
what can we do about them? They got the question. So what are we going to do? First thing, I, this is the process of getting the plank out of my eye, right? So we reviewed our own conduct over the years past. I've, I've already written down all the stuff they told me to write down, what happened, you know, how it affected me, and now I'm going to start looking at my conduct. By the way, this is in the middle of page 69. That's your 10th step for a lifetime. It is ironic, isn't it? Alcoholics are not without humor that they would talk about sex on page 69. So for all of us school children, we can take a big chuckle and then move on. This is, it makes it easier to remember. Um, it is the middle of the page. That's your 10th step for a lifetime, so learn it. A lot of times I'll start someone, if they say they don't have any resentment, I'll start them right here. Let's just look at all your relationships, and then after we look at all the parts that everyone played, then we'll find the resentment. It's down there. And if it's gone by the time we get there, that was the object anyway. Okay. All right. So, so then it says, whom had we hurt? So there's another question. That's how your list is going to come about. I'm going to look at how I harmed them. I was inconsiderate. I was dishonest. I was selfish. And how? And then I'm going to look who else it affected. And on that, I'm going to have a list. By the time I'm done with this, I'm going to have an eight-step list. Right? So did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault? These are all questions I'm asking me. Find myself a place. What should we have done instead? How many of you knew what you should have done instead while you were doing what you did? So it's not just the knowledge of what I did instead, but I'm going to take the facts to the truth here in a minute. That's the purpose of the fifth step. Okay. All right, so in this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. So how many of you would like to have a safe and sound ideal for a future sex life? I always wonder why no hands, three of you. The rest of you are lying. Right, to your point. Even if it's just switching hands, you want a future sex life. Okay, so a safe and sound ideal for all your future relationships. Take the word sex out, does that make sense? Okay, so we want sane and sound ideals for our relationship with the world. My relationship with the world is my relationship with Creator. If I'm having trouble in creation, check in with Creator. So I want to get this right so I can see what's been going on because I wasn't having such a ducky time out there in creation. Yeah? Okay, so we subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? How many of you have been able to convince yourself that something you were doing was not selfish? So, so we're going to subject it there, but we're going to tell somebody else, and they're going to help us confront the truth, right? Confront the fact with some truth, yes? Okay. All right, so, so we ask God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. I suggest you, you're probably not going to do that if you haven't encountered tangible power in two and started to build a little, you know, right? You, this process, of, if you don't know God's real by this point, it's, it's starting to fade by now. Okay, so we remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, never to, be, never to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. So neither one of the attitudes I may have come up with are the proper attitude about a normal human behavior. I've just got to get right-sized in the equation, yeah? So whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. So they're not given us theology. They don't care what your ideal is. If you're talking to God, God will help you with that ideal. And then whatever you, you and he can work out, you'll be cool, right? So, so whatever, we must be willing to grow toward it. So, so I've heard people say this is a, you know, a must, you've got to do it, but they've already told you the book is suggestive. So I'm suggesting to you the must has another meaning in that context. The must means I wouldn't have written all this crap down if I weren't willing to grow spiritually. Therefore, it's kind of a no-brainer that I'm willing to do this because I wrote it down for this very purpose. It did produce some suffering in me, but I did that so I could cast it out, and the only way that's going to happen is to move forward in the process. Yes? Okay. So we must, we must be willing to make amends where we have done harm. Same thing. That's the, that's the fitness step. We're going to know a new freedom, a new happiness, right? That, that's the fitness step. So, of course, I'm willing to go through all of this because the freedom's going to come when I go own my stuff and start walking in my new status. Yeah? Okay. 
So in other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. And that's why I tell people, don't get all hung up that it's a sex inventory. It really isn't. It's a relationship inventory. And you learned about relationships long before you had sex in all likelihood. <coughs> so a lot of the things that you took into your sexual relationships, you learned before you knew anything about sex. So what we'd like for you to do is see what, where they came from and see if they're your ideas. And if they're not your ideas, they'll be cast out and you'll come up with the ones you and God come up with. Does that make sense now? So, and then it, it, it's not all about, like I've had people come to me, I've told this story before, they used to go to the halfway houses and then they'd, they'd make them give all their money to the halfway house till the rent was caught up. And so when they finally got caught up, the guy would call me and say, hey man, I'm about to get a paycheck, my rent's finally caught up, can I give you my money? Well, first of all, if you read my sheet, you know, no, you don't want to give my, but, but why would you want to give me the money? And we go, well, if I'll get high. If I, if, if I have the money, I'm going to get high. I go, well, let's inventory your relationship with money. Because right now, money's your higher power. How many of you have gotten high when you didn't have money? Oh, I have. How many of you got high when you did have money? So money had nothing to do with whether you're high or you're not high. So it's apparently a, a relationship problem where, where the power is found. Does it make sense? Okay. So it says, in meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. I turn my life over. So it's not just about the sexual aspects. It's about my relationship with money, property, power, prestige, everything. I got to look at all those things that old ideas get produced by, yeah? The right answer will come if we want it. That's an interesting statement. They used the words they meant. They meant the words they said. How many of you have asked for the right answer and not wanted the right answer? How many of you have asked for the answer and got the right answer and thought, I can improve on that? So again, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost self. This is the first step in recovery. I'm always in full concession. When I get guidance I've asked for, just because I don't like it doesn't mean I get to redesign it. Again, it's God's will and my disagreement with it. There's not God's will and my will. That's silly. My will has no power to prevail. How many of you have wanted things not to turn out the way they turned out? And then found out how to deal with the way they fucking turned out? My will has no more lasting power than a fart in a hurricane. The right answer will come if we want it. God alone can judge our sex situation. Who? Counsel with other persons is often desirable. We let God be the final judge. How many of you have decided you were in a relationship that was appropriate and everyone told you not to be there or it wasn't a good idea or perhaps you should wait and God convicted you that you should be there and the proof would tell you that you probably should be there. That happens too. It's not my job to tell you that you're getting bad guidance. That's, I'll pray with you. If that's what you're going to do, that's what you're going to do. There is a reason that there's jokes about finding your dream boat in the detox, but, you know. I'm just saying, there's a reason. I'm not trying to say what the reason is. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Okay, so I don't want to get caught up in that anyway. I, I cannot operate in the opinions of men when I serve only one audience, an audience of one. I've got to start listening to the inner voice, yeah? Okay, suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble, question mark. Any of you been afraid to start because what if I didn't finish? Okay, so that's why they have this question there. Does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but it's only a half-truth. It depends on us and our motives. So they're telling you, don't start a culture of quitting just to quit, because fear's stolen from you a completion all your life. You know, just because you're afraid, talk to somebody, let's get you past the fear. Let's go, let's go claim some success because of who you are and whose you are. But if you're just doing this and gaming, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Okay. 
So if we're sorry for what we have done and, and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we'll be forgiven and we'll have learned our lesson. If we're not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we're quite sure to drink. We're not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. So they're just talking. They had a lot of experience. By this time, the first 100 had dealt with thousands. How many of you have worked with a few people? Been blessed with a spiritual awakening? Did you work with more than one before they started? Yeah. Yeah, we may work with dozens before one sticks long enough to have a coherent sentence, right? It's just true. Um, so they had some experience with what happens if, if I'm still clinging to old ideas too hard, they always lead me back to where I, what I know. Okay, um, to sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal. So it may be hard to get that desire reined in. That's why you have a power in you that's greater than you. Um, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for strength to do the right thing. So I'm asking for sanity, I'm asking for strength. And then they give me a tangible suggestion. If sex is very troublesome, we, help, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. There's a little secret they'll tell you later in the book that when I turn my thoughts to another, a window opens into my consciousness and I receive more power than I need. I'm enabled to see what they need when I can't see what I need. But in delivery of what they need, it flows through me and I get the healing I need. Does that make sense? Okay, so this takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. So if you're struggling with this stuff, Find someone to help. Not to pour your problem on, that just saturates you in the problem. Find out how you can help them. When that happens, you're going to gain access to power. Your problem will get smaller, if not disappear. Okay? So, and I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you from my own experience, but they wrote a book about it, and millions of people have benefited from this testimony. Okay? So if we've been thorough about our personal inventory, we've written down a lot. How many of you had that experience? How many of you have done more than one? Did you write down a lot every time? Okay, I'm just checking to see. Okay. Um, we have listed and analyzed our resentments. Is that what you did? And those of you that are you know, thinking about doing that's all you're going to do. I'm going to write and analyze my resentments. Why would I want to analyze them? Why do I have them? What's the part I play? Is it really serving me? I'll tell you what, if I didn't have resentments, I had no reason to live at one time in my life. That's a fact. I lived on resentment. My hatred of you was the reason I would go another day. Anyone know what I'm saying? I'm not bullshitting. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And I didn't have any better tools than that until I was introduced to power. And then I was toned through this process. And I gradually, in serving others, laid down those tools and started fighting with these fists instead of these. Okay. Only because I had gained access to a superior power. Nothing I did. Okay. Um, so, so it says, if we've been thorough about our personal inventory, we've written down a lot, we've listed and analyzed our resentments, and we've begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. They've got to get, this isn't a workbook exercise. It's a beginning. It's the first step in a manner of living, a way of life that is infinitely more purposeful. Yes? Like you talk about, launched into a, fourth dimension of existence, beyond time and space. If you're beyond time and space, where are you? If you're beyond time and space, you're here and now. Guess what? If you're here and now consciously, you got no problems. Okay. Um, we have listed and analyzed our resentments. We've begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality, and we've commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. All about a beginning. Got to get that. We got to keep doing this. This is just to arm me with the facts about myself. Now guide, God's going to guide me to all kinds of people to tell my story to eventually get the healing I need to get me complete. Right? My agreement wasn't for a day or two. My agreement was for a lifetime. As long as I have a breath, I will use it to advocate for my brother. Yeah? I don't finish the steps. If you did finish the steps, you're sucking my air. Stop it. Okay. Um, we've commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We've begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. 
That's the ideal I'm going into, right? How many of you still get disturbed by people even though you know that? So I still have a need for that power. I still suffer from a condition called doubt. So even though I have no reason to doubt, I still doubt. I walk in miracles every day, but I doubt. So I've got to keep bearing witness in order to keep me sane. Does that make sense? Anyone else know what I'm talking about? Okay. So goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. In this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. I told you that would come, and then it was several pages, and you thought I'd lied to you for a minute, didn't you? <laughs> faith is the only substance in the known universe that treats control addiction. And they've known it since then. And that's why when they took that little piece out, we went from 65% efficacy over 15 years to three. Because we took the power out. So we'd like to put the power back in, all you people who walk in power. Okay? So we hope you are, are convinced now that God, power can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, you've perhaps, or you've made a good beginning. That being so, you've swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. Yes? yes. I think we finished early. How about that? Thank you very much.